When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Seth Partnow of The Athletic, of Stats Bomb, of The Midrange Theory, his awesome book, of The Nerder She Wrote podcast, and we spend about 45 minutes going through game one of the NBA Finals, the fourth quarter, the adjustments each team can make, how the game shifted over the course of it, what the Warriors did well, what the Celtics did well, tactical adjustments, so many fascinating, fun wrinkles for this consequential series. And episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Use that CLNS50 promo code, tell them you came from us, and I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, anything going on in the basketball world that we should we should talk about? Making East Coasters stay up super late to watch finals games. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess that's, that's a part of it. And we're recording this the morning after game one. And you and I are both going to spend a lot of time talking about not only this game, but the other ones on our, on our other podcasting things as well. And what I, what I wanted to start with you, since I've already talked with Nate about this a bunch, is do you take more from the dominance that the Celtics showed in kind of the phases of the fourth quarter or do you take more from quarters one through three um i mean really it's it's you know the first half was very even the third quarter was third quarter warriors and the fourth quarter was third quarter warriors the other way so i like i don't there's a lot of this weird kind of segmenting going on about well this part of the game we were good and that's all that counts and, mm-hmm. and i don't i don't i don't buy that i think that you know based on the evidence of one game this is a this is a gonna be a good series between two closely matched teams um and you know and probably the final margin of the game reflected boston having just a uh, you know a over the course of the game, you know, a slight but not enormous edge, I don't think, in shot making. Um, you know, so they, they made a few more baskets, I guess, another way of saying it, which like, duh. But yeah, so I don't I don't know. I think the, like I, I almost want to get more micro about some of the things that I that would be worrying for me for either team. Um, yeah, and I, I think sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah, and I think I think one place to start with that is the non. I like to phrase it as the non Curry minutes, and so there will be a stretch in each half when Stephen Curry is not on the floor, and it has been a difficulty for Golden State every single year because the Warriors have never had an above average offense when Curry has been off the floor, and they you know it's hard to have that when your best player is at, is not there, especially when you run a scheme much of the time that it kind of depends on that. And there have been these different ideas both in the regular season and in the playoffs of well how can you how can you do better there? And I you know like I, I was thinking about it, I was talking about it yesterday because that's really in the fourth quarter that was where the run started. But I thought you know going into the micro to me the offensive process 
like generating advantages when Curry was off the floor in the second quarter was also flawed because mostly because they just don't have personnel and they just hit some tough shots. Otto Porter was four or five from three. A lot of those were during that stretch. Iguodala had some finishes. And one way to solve that is just to have fewer of those minutes. But because the Warriors don't have this many dominant offensive players, I don't know that there is a fix per se. And also, given how Boston is as equipped to just get into Steph on his dribble as any team in the league, um, I thought I thought in, in particular Derek White in the second half did a really good job of of just you know ma- making making it tough on Curry off the bounce, um, you know fourth quarter especially. But saying okay, Steph, you know have the ball in your hands, you know be the be a heliocentric creator for for you know now we got asking you to do for thirty eight minutes a game. I think that that shows up in his legs in, in games five, six, seven, um, and so I'd be I would be worried about that. But on the flip side, like like where does the offense get generated when he's off the floor? Um, you know, you don't want to overreact to one game sample, but Jordan Poole ain't it. Uh, Clay is. I don't think Clay you can count on to be that guy. Um, and something I think will come on to in greater detail. But Draymond's offense is a problem for them. Like I don't. I don't know if there's any other way to put it. I think yeah. that that is a that is going to be a problem for Golden State this this series unless you know something changes uh, over over what we saw in game one and have really kind of seen throughout the playoffs. Right. And Draymond, there were there were points in this, you know, like game one you think of, and I mean, this was definitely present in the first quarter, as adjusting and the Celtics and the Warriors learning what the other team does and understanding the vast differences between their current opponent and their most recent opponent. And there are a lot of those for both of these teams on each end of the floor. And you get the growing pains from that. And the Warriors in particular, because their offense is very different than Miami's, we knew that there were going to be some, but there were also just some Celtics flubs. But something that Boston did really well for a game one I like to use the general term threat assessment for this is understanding playing the overall odds of who is going to beat you and where. And so they knew that Andre Guadalla was a very reluctant shooter and often a reluctant finisher if there's anyone remotely present. And with Draymond, it was largely, you know, kind of a story in that vein. Draymond Green in the game and the Warriors, you know, Chase Center, the the Chase Center log person, I, you might know their exact job, t- job title, is notoriously bad at distinguishing between restricted area and, and floater range. So I just say paint for everything when a game is played at Chase Center. Draymond Green, two of eight in the paint during this game. And the Celtics understood if they get a late contest, if they get something there, then that's probably good enough. And so when you can give ground to Iguodala, Draymond Green, and Kavon Looney when he doesn't have an offensive rebound, it it constricts everything else. And there's, I, I don't know, there's 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 very different interpretations. There's a, a few possessions. I noticed one in particular in the fourth quarter where if you're just, if it's sort of your, almost if you're watching out of the, your peripheral vision, it looks like great offense, but if you really focus on it, it's actually not producing anything. There was at least one play in the fourth quarter where it was like, Steph drove and kicked the ball to a wide open Draymond on the corner who zipped a, you know, zipped the extra pass to Iguodala, like, at, like you know, in the slot. And then you just kind of dribbled around and, and like we dribbled fast, but just like, wow, it's a great ball movement. And look at all the openings they're creating and getting nothing out of it. Like and, and so it's it's, you know, it has the it has the almost the appearance of, you know, drive, kick, swing, swing. Hey, that's what good NBA offense looks like right now. But then if you look and see, wait, it's a non-threat in that spot, throwing the ball to another non-threat in that spot. 
and burning eight seconds and getting the ball out of Steph's hands. Um, that seems pretty good for Boston, especially it means like Rob Williams is still just kind of menacing everything near the basket instead of really worried about either of those two players. It also led to a fascinating parallel between this series and the original conceit from Jason Kidd in the Western Conference Finals, which was the idea of keep somebody on Steph, keep somebody on Clay, and kind of work from there. But what the Celtics don't have to do, and I mean, I would say that the Mavericks didn't trust those guys enough, like Bullock and DFS in particular, is you can do that philosophically, but really what that means is, that doesn't mean sending extra defenders at those players in opportunities. What it means is set somebody on them and help off of others. And they're generally, you know, unless they're going to play Curry, Poole, and Thompson together, and that opens up other limitations, you can do that. And what you what you are sacrificing is tolerable. And you're playing the overall numbers game. There will be a point where Draymond Green hits two out of four threes, and it will look better for the Golden State Warriors. But those, you know, you're, you're working like as as a like kind of as a defense. You're not trying to play the you know the the possession by possession math you're trying to play the quarter by quarter math and the Warriors are going to have those situations and a big reason why that's possible is because Boston has defenders good enough that you can say I want to put player X on Clay Thompson and you can actually think Clay Thompson's not going to get that open I mean, <laughs> I mean this is this is maybe a, a somewhat of an indication that that Thompson really is not all the way back physically is like Grant Williams had some success chasing Clay Thompson around screens. Grant, Grant Williams, like, who did not have any success on Stephen Curry, but yeah, did on did on Clay yeah. at times. And you know, and you know, I, I I said this on my podcast last night. I'll say it again. Like, I, it's fair to say you would not have found a bigger Grant Williams fan pre-draft than me. And if you'd have told me that, you know, hey, four years from now he's going to be, you know, he's going to be blowing up floppy action guarding Clay Thompson in the NBA Finals, like, okay, what, uh, where, where can I get some of that, please? That's. <laughs> you know that's that uh, but that, i mean that that's sort that was sort of a side note um the the again the the worrying problem is it seems like it seems like boston is you know once they sort of got over in the first half almost the initial oh these guys don't run the same stuff as miami these guys don't run this stuff actually they just kind of read and react and once they kind of got velocity to that almost um it, it really seemed like for the most part they they made life difficult for the warriors uh third quarter was again uh as, as often the case with boston I, I feel like a lot of the golden state's offensive success was predicated on boston's own bad offense Mm-hmm. You know, giving giving Steph a broken floor, um, uh, but to work with basically, um, and you know, obviously that's sort of the the your favorite uh, one of your favorite thing the, uh, the the feedback loop of Boston making shots in the fourth quarter meant that didn't happen. Right, yeah, they were able to short circuit it, and the Golden State Warriors in Game One cleaning the glass first shot half half court offensive rating ninety point one. That's fine. I mean, that's I mean, that's that's that like that's that's better, basically better than most of the teams had in the Celtics Bucks yeah. series. But yeah. when Boston's at a one fourteen, and we'll we'll yeah. get into that in a little bit. But it's it is it is a reminder that you know like the stuff the the broken floor as you mentioned when the Warriors got out in transition and a lot of success off of offensive rebounds, which, um, you know, that, yes, that, that is its own thing. And, you know, I, I thought that was going to be an infor- important factor in the series, considering Boston has conceded those and the Warriors have become this much better. They've been a much more aggressive offensive rebounding team in these playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I mean, 
just talking about this, like who Golden State, who Kerr decides to play is going to be fascinating. Like how many minutes can Otto Porter play? Because they need every single one of them. Um, Gary Payton can't come back soon enough. Um, I don't can can he be on the floor? Like he had a there was one stretch where they kind of used him as a screener and pick and roll, um, and it was effective. But as soon as Boston got like Rob Williams out of that action, it stopped being effective. So like, does, does he bring enough to to? Uh, it, it just it's it's. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, the, the, the line between something being an option and a difficult choice it, it can kind of changes series by series. And if there's one kind of thing that I take away from that from from, you know, uh, Golden State standpoint, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of difficult choices to be made there. There are. I would. I mean, it doesn't necessarily help the spacing issues, but just to have some general athleticism, trying out Kuminga at some point could be useful. I mean, he just brings something a little bit different. Bielitsa, because he can capably shoot and move the ball. I'm not saying in like the best of the best lineups, but also like I wonder how each of and I think we saw more of it from Mudoka than Kerr in game one, plenty of time to adjust, is how you handle the ebbs and flows from these games that happen when the best players are and are not on the floor. Like, Stephen Curry's rest, maybe not the duration, but the timing of it is very predictable. And each team can hone their rotations to put whatever they want out there. And, you know, so that can be, for the Celtics, one part of that is just making sure that Derek White and or Marcus Smart is out there to shut down a lot of what Jordan Poole wants to do. You have two very good guys at at accomplishing that goal. I would say that Robert Williams should probably be out there a fair amount in those lineups. You can, as you mentioned, keeping him out of the actions if they're doing some of the stuff with Iguodala. And for the Warriors how they want to handle that in the Brown no Tatum minutes. Like are there specific defenders that you think are better suited for those minutes in certain uh, it's Porter. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, there's a couple of times where like clay isn't, um, I think it was, was it Nate? Who's I, I was listening to you guys and Nate said something like, yeah, I think, Clay can hold up on Jalen Brown. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, 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 I thought I said that a Clay would have trouble because he's he's always yeah. he's the, in the this this vintage of Clay has had trouble with speed guys, not power guys. Or maybe it was maybe he maybe he said that 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 dude Clay can hold up on Tatum, and I don't. Yeah, that, that, that that's either. what he said. That's what I, he said. I, I, don't, I don't really buy that either. But he's got he's got no chance against against Jalen Brown. Well, it, it, that's what led to this weird thought that I had um, on the pod on that on our preview pod talking about how in some ways Clay. Like, so I thought when Clay came back, you know, like in the abstract, we're dealing with two years where he didn't play, that he was going to come back as a three. And in some ways, defensively, he's more of a four now, just because no, think, the guys he can right. stick with and who he has some trouble with. I mean, I, yeah. And also, I, I he's think, still re- he's still recovering, of course. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's you know the the you know it's each of those in, in, is a two year injury, and so this is year two of the of the Achilles, and so like maybe next year. But it's also, I mean, it's this is a you know zooming out like the 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 year the eighteen nineteen season. Um, there were, you know, it's, it's one year and you don't want to read too much into it, but there were, there was a pretty big decline in his defensive numbers that year. And like in one year, it's like, okay, this is a team that's made four straight finals and is kind of coasting through the regular season. And like the on off stuff with those Warriors teams is weird anyway, because like, you know, is he getting penalized for not being Andre Iguodala kind of thing? But it was a that was a year where it's like, hmm, like Clay has been a pretty good defender, but this year his impact numbers were bad, and his defensive impact numbers this year were bad, and that's like, you know, obviously coming back from the injury and sort of the the timing of it, you know, coinciding with Draymond being out, 
So there's a lot of like there's a lot of kind of statistical weirdness there. But at the same time, he's into his 30s and like so there would be some expected defensive decline plus two major injuries. And, and and now you're asking him to guard like two of the more dynamic wings in the league. And it's I you know, I I don't think it's it shouldn't be surprising that that's a problem. Right. And that gets into what I think is after the first six minutes of the fourth quarter, an essential question for the Warriors moving forward is who do they trust on Jalen Brown defensively the rest of this series? Um, I You know, I part of that is it's, it, like like you also kind of. Some of the shots Jalen Brown hit last night, you're like, okay, fine, you know. It, it was um, also one of the best playmaking stretches I've seen from him, maybe yeah. ever. And so it's it's you do want. I mean, uh, they do need someone who can. I don't know if need is the right, but I, but I think we've seen that you know someone who can like you know hold him up physically a little bit, and then the fact that he has struggled to handle the ball in any sort of traffic. Is that fair to say um, that can come into play? But sure. like Clay, Clay can't do that. No, um, I, I have two guys. I, yeah, Draymond and Porter, right? No, Wiggins okay. and Gary Payton the oh. second. Because Gary okay. Payton, if he becomes available, and he'll be limited offensively with this elbow injury, he can get into Jalen's handle. It'll actually be similar. Jalen Brown had a ton of trouble driving on Victor Oladipo in the Eastern Conference Finals because his handle isn't tight enough to prevent that aggressive hands guy. And and, and can get in a guy who's and that's almost a, a benefit to be shorter because you can get you can kind of get low and get leverage on him and then you know kind of hold him up and then use use the length to kind of poke away the the high semi-controlled dribble that Jalen can go to sometimes exactly and then Wiggins it's more just that he can move his feet pretty well like Porter he his quickness isn't as much of a problem but he has trouble defending in space like that's just not you know where he is at, at, at this I think he could do an okay job like he would be he would be a reliable option and with Draymond I I think that if, if your goal is to stop him one-on-one so like in those in the non-Tatum minutes yeah I think you could go, could go to that reasonably well it does present these problems and it's the same thing when you throw good defenders on Jason Tatum, which is part of why that intriguing Jordan Poole guarding Tatum in a box and one thing like actually has some conceptual merit is if you, especially a game where, where Tatum like is offensively kind of at sea. Yes, uh, as a score, and yeah. I, I think that. But so the idea behind some of that stuff, um, going you know, hearkening back to the Eastern Conference Finals, is when you have one of your best help defenders, one of your best rim protectors on a primarily perimeter player. Is is this the Giannis should guard KD argument again? It's the reverse. Or, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it is that you lose them in yeah. all of these other elements. Yeah, and Jalen Brown, other than in the non-Tatum minutes, he doesn't have to be in all of these acts. The, the Celtics have; it's part of why the Derek White acquisition was so important. They have other players who can initiate offense, and so if you want, if, if putting Draymond Green, particularly if it happens to be minutes that Looney's not on the floor, if you're going to commit him to shutting down Jalen Brown, going back this, going back to those years when the Warriors played the Rockets and they had him guarding Ryan Anderson for stretches of games, it's like, oh, so Draymond Green's just going to be useless at the basket now. I mm. but. I don't so the, I mean the way Boston especially if you kind of keep those two guys from getting sort of initial advantages the way Boston's offense can kind of break down Sure like, that's a good point I do I do wonder if like that you know when they get rolling the ball kind of can zip around but when you get when you make those two guys play in the mud it gets very they, stagnant They they um, have think, they have a higher level of inertia than some other yeah, teams do Yeah like I think we saw this for for long stretches of kind of the late first and early second quarter where Boston's offense 
offense was just sort of dribbling around the top of the arc and never really getting the ball, you know, it never really cracking Golden State shell. Like Golden State was, was it almost looked like Golden State was playing a matchup zone just because there's like five guys sort of semi sagging off and freely passing guys off around the perimeter and no advantage is being created. Um, like in, if if that's what if if you can get them into that by having Draymond stopping penetration, then you don't need him as a help defender. That's a fair point. Plenty more with Seth Part now, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA Finals, as you're hearing on this podcast, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and get into the action. And plus, it tells them you came from us, which we really appreciate. So check it out at BetOnline, where the game starts. Um, can we talk about Tatum? Sure. Um, it's a really weird performance. Um, I know people have like his his playmaking has gotten a lot of praise, and you know, some there were moments certainly, but I thought he like it was a very strange performance from him. I mean, there was it started from like the second play of the game almost. It's like he couldn't. He he seemed like he was struggling to get his feet right on the catch a lot of times. Like he it, it just you know he almost seemed like he was on skates at times out there you know there was also kind of connecting with that some strangeness in terms of him figuring out how to how and when and to attack when an inferior defender just starts the possession on him you don't have to create the mismatch and go and he actually could have used some of what jalen brown you know the i call it the game playbook now where it's like oh i have this guy on me i'm just gonna go right now i'm gonna you know maybe take a jab step or a couple dribbles and do a pull-up it isn't you know sometimes the advantage is just what you have and and you work through it yeah. and and so that like so there were plays where Jason Tatum was being guarded after like a switch this was I think it was like the eight minute mark of the first quarter being guarded by Stephen Curry and he's like kind of doing this hesitation and kind of getting into stuff it's like you have Stephen Curry on you just it's shoot still. over him yeah like you're much bigger than he is and and so those I I don't know if that's that he wasn't feeling quite right and just didn't think he had that but I mean. Jason Tatum making tough shots. These aren't even as nearly as tough as some of the ones that he does well. No, it, I mean, it, it almost seemed like he went too far in terms of, all right, it's my first finals game. I'm going to let the game come to me. I'm not going to try to, you know, take over the moment. And it seems like he almost went too far that way. Like there was, this is, you know, I, you, you compare him to someone like, I don't know, James Harden. And he's one of the, the things he's much better at is, oh, I'm open. I'll, like, I caught the ball. I'm open. I'll shoot. I don't need to you know, get into anything. But it seemed like he was um, almost wanted to get into doing, you know, making a good play instead of just making the play that was there. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a tough balance. Like, I think we saw the uh, latter half of the finals last year. I think we saw Devin Booker kind of tip over to the other side of that line and like be too try to, you know, take, you know, they're showing me this defensive look. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and, and almost like throws his teammates out of the offense. 
um, despite getting good stuff himself. And so it's a tough balance. I don't want to, you know, but it did seem like he aired way too much on the side of patience. I think that's totally reasonable. And um, go ahead. No, there was, and it, there, there was like there, there was one, there was one stretch in the second quarter where even though it didn't always result in stuff, it at least got him in some good situations where you noted like they would, they would run like you know, uh, I think it was, it was mostly like Tatum smart pick and rolls uh, with, with with smart handling, and and uh, Golden State would switch, and this is something that that Boston has done basically since. You know Tatum's rookie year. Uh, they did this against us in the playoffs uh, in 2018. Was you get that sw- the small switch on him, and instead of like doing anything else, he would just like slip or dive right into a post up. And I thought that you know again they didn't always get great stuff out of that. Like and one of them ended up with Smart hitting a pretty ridiculous lean air with, with with a toe on the line. But getting him into that advantage situation against Steph off of that was something that I was surprised they did, they didn't go back to really the rest of the game. Um, and that's and so that's something that I would almost look for them to to explore more later in the series, especially if they can get like okay, Steph's on you, put him in the basket. Like you get, you're you're posted up on, on Steph Curry, you know, eight feet away from power dribble the middle, turn around. He, he, either someone's going to double and you can kick to the corner, or you just shoot a little, you know, eight footer over him. Um, so I would I would I would almost see, expect that to be something that Boston looks to go back to, um, and that'll be more effective in a game where Tatum is a little more on song. Sort of along that line, I was you know thinking about the support players for the Celtics, and I, I, I you might have more familiarity with the, how the tracking data does this than I do. But so the way when I'm looked at it for the NBA site today, they have it classified that 36 of Boston's three pointers, Boston attempted 41 in in game one, were catch and shoot, so no dribble jump shots. And first of all, the denominator of that 36 shots is an absolute ton. Like that, that is a ton of catch and shoot opportunities. Generally, guys are going to do better on those. They're more likely to be open. And the Celtics made 19 of them. So 53% is a whole lot. And I, I, I thought that both parts of that were really telling. So it, that's interesting because I think if you actually broke that down and, and maybe did a little finer and looked at like where like the, the how open those shots were and this is tough to do from public data but um, and looked at it especially by quarter I thought it's like early in the game especially a lot of those were sort of like semi or contested wing jumpers kind of later in the shot clock after they didn't do anything to kind of crack golden state's defense then you look in like the fourth quarter and you like uh the the number in in the fourth quarter of the uncontested threes were i I believe six to one uh in terms of attempts in favor of boston and you know uh they they made four of them which is slightly more than you expect but but still like that I, i think that is reflective of of the process that down the stretch there where it's like oh you know, we got we're getting open corner threes for for Marcus Smart and Peyton Pritchard and Al Horford. And yeah, okay, they made maybe one or two extra of them, but Golden State got one. They made they, they created one open like uncontested three in the fourth quarter, and I think it was for Draymond. <laughs> like so, like I, I, I mean that that is certainly indicative of of uh, a process advantage for Boston. I would say. Right. And how much of that, you know, normally you would say, well, Steph Curry doesn't play the beginning of the fourth quarter. He only sat for a bit, I believe it was like two and a half minutes because things went so haywire so quickly for the for the Golden State Warriors during that stretch. But generating generating good shots is a key determining factor in individual games of the series. And I agree with you. Like in that early stretch, you know, Marcus Smart hits him hit some tough ones and the the, the Warriors were doing a good job, you know, making 
those shots hard. But one, though, actually, I said Marcus Smart hit some tough ones. The Warriors also, at some stretches, they they kind of helped too aggressively too early, and I thought they did a better job of that later. But then they also then then it, the Celtics were creating bigger advantages, and it created tougher choices. I think that's right. Um, oh, what did you think? So, because you're watching on TV, what did you think about what they were calling for fouls and what they were not? I'll leave it as open as that because it, it always feels different in the arena, especially when you're dealing with a high crowd. I honestly, the best thing I can say is I did basically didn't notice the officiating last night. Okay, um, that, that, that seems reasonable. So, for, for me, what I noticed was, and this harkens back to points earlier in the season, it seemed to me, and this was more in the first half than the second, that they were letting a lot more contact go around the basket, and that is a way you can officiate. You know, that's, I'm not saying it's it's unreasonable. Uh, well, let's put it this way: coming off of the coming oh, off of the for sure. Eastern Conference Finals, like where, it, like you know, it was like prefaced by saying it was a hard series to officiate. I thought the officiating was abysmal across that series. Um, first of all, this, this game was like talking about physicality around the basket. Um, com- again, compared to that series, this was sure. this was you know this this was uh, sparring rather than <laughs> you know a championship fight. And um, no, it didn't. I didn't. I didn't. You know. There was, I think, there was three total free throws in the four, in the th- in the fourth quarter, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of or really any sort of oh, the whistle should have been blown there. Yeah, I mean, there were a few like on Curry's drives where there was some contact, but I didn't think it like the disparity was between what was called and what should have been called was dramatic in any way. I, I thought it was more a story of these teams just not doing much to get fouled as opposed to there being you know the the refs holding the whistle and and you know when and let it and so I think that's the way that I would describe it maybe a few but again it's in some ways that is like a it's less consistent than this which is hilarious because of how inconsistent this is but it's sort it can be sort of like the a strike zone in baseball where different referees think that different levels of contact are sufficient and you get an understanding the in in many ways the i the functional ideal not the actual ideal is consistency once you've set the guidelines and so no i think consistency within a game is like that you would would ideally like it to be consistent game to game but we i mean from experience we know you know it's a different crew in a different game in a different environment and who knows what happens early in the game so so but it was i thought it was completely consistent across the game right so it's like an umpire calling the same strike zone even if it's not the box that the league says is what it should be now and it wasn't too far off honestly like i'm not saying it was miles yeah. and miles away and they just had to deal with it. No, not at all. I mean, if you're going to say that like the more physicality that's allowed is probably advantage Boston, sure, I'll buy that. At the same time, like, you know, it's not like Draymond is, is averse to being in a continuous state of foul and daring <laughs> a, a continuous state of either, of either personal or technical foul. And, and kind of daring the, the, the refs to call at all times. So I, I don't think the, the advantage is necessarily as clear. But I like again, I didn't like I saw some I saw some stuff on Twitter about oh my god, Steph is getting hammered. It's like they mm, didn't really notice it. And like there was a lot of complaints about like the I thought pretty blatant push off that he got that he got called for. It's like oh if that, like how dare they? Tatum does that every time, kind of thing. It's like uh, okay. Mm-hmm. You extend the arm; it's a foul. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, yeah, like this is this is this these. These questions are literally the first time I've thought about the officiating in any detail about the game last night, which, generally speaking, is a pretty good sign for how the game was officiated. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. 
Um, can we can we talk about um some strategic stuff? And I think that, I'd love to. Uh, it feels like it feels like uh, like it feels like Kerr got I don't want to say outfoxed a little bit, but I, a pretty key kind of couple sequence of the games were you know in the fourth quarter Boston's making their run. Golden State calls two timeouts. Uh, they ran kind of a like a Spain throwback action out of both of them. And Boston had it perfectly scattered out both times, got steals both times, and got a, a Pritchard run-out layup one time and a wide-open trail 3-4 Horford the other time. And I thought those were pretty key moments in the game. It's like, oh, we call a timeout to stop a run, and then we give up you know, you know, know, quick, easy, high-value shots the other way directly out of our timeout both times. Yeah, that was something I didn't think about live, but I believe you're completely correct. They had, yeah, it was it was uh, Jalen Brown steal leading to that run out, and then it was yeah Draymond Draymond threw one, and and then that was I, th- I think that was the Horford shot that put him up th- that put him up six. Yeah, and that was and that was the that was the play where where Iggy maybe had a layup, but there was a guy within arm's reach of him, so he decided to like lob a <laughs> lob a pitch back sort of towards the arc and i think brown was the one who picked that one off too but i don't remember exactly it might have been smart but still it was like a, a kind of a wounded duck of a of a pass that got picked off run back the other way and then you know yeah orford stepped into the to the, the trail three to um, i don't want to say put it away but really put boston in control that they never really got away from and boston did, the other thing boston did a much better job closing the game on offense that than that they than they have done and that, like not just from a shot making standpoint but from a process standpoint yeah the, they actually and, and they, the they process to me is offense. far more important in that respect yeah. like they, they were actually, they were generating they were yeah. they were and boston did something that i criticized them for so much on like you know Nate, i did a lot of those games on playback and we're talking about like it's taking them forever to get into their stuff and and a problem when you're when you do that in a system that generally requires you to create the advantage and then maximize it is that takes time you know like that takes six to eight seconds sometimes and so if you don't get going you know with 14 16 on the clock then you're creating the advantage and you're in a late clock situation so the advantage largely evaporates and they were doing it earlier and that made a huge difference yeah and and some of that might just be like the fact that you know gold since golden state plays with pace there's already sort of pace in the game so it's not where you know we're against you know miami and milwaukee where it's almost like it's almost like, hey, let's 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 turn it up to like 1.2 bars of gravity for this game, um, <laughs> and it, it, it's sort of it's like, oh, we're we're playing in a lighter atmosphere now, so we can move, uh, we can we can bound around the court. Um, that probably had that. I think that had a little something to do with it, just in terms of Boston's like kind of keeping with the pace of the game rather than kind of, well, this game is slow, so we should slow down. Mm-hmm. That that kind of afflicted them for a lot of the Miami series, despite that being advantage heat. I don't know if this counts as a tactical thing. I also spent a lot of time on this with Nate last night, but I always like going into a game one, kind of one of the things that you almost always learn is who can stick in this series and who can, and uh, you're playing a lot of different opponents. I mean, the wonderful extreme here is Steven Adams, who was unplayable against Minnesota and then was eminently playable against the Warriors because of what they do. And I, 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 I mean, not to, I, I thought that that like him being unplayable against Minnesota was a pretty drastic overreaction by he has trouble with towns. I'll put it that way. Um, so there were, I think they should have picked some spots for him in other circumstances, but also Memphis has enough good players that they didn't have to. It's not like they're playing sub rotation guys to, to shift it, which uh, makes, but, uh, but I thought like, I, I I do like the difference between like, like Steven Adams was much more playable in this series than I kind of at the outset was kind of thinking this might be an okay matchup 
it for Daniel Tice. Uh, and now I do not think of it anymore <laughs> at all. Um, and I think that's, I think, you know, he didn't, we didn't see him in the second half. No. Um, yeah. Now, so- I, I, I mean, I, I, and I think that's sort of, if you, I mean, you mentioned like bringing like Bielitsa into the game, like all of a sudden that, you know, Boston has, you know, seven guys they trust. And, and if you, then if you, am I forgetting someone? I mean, Peyton Pritchard had a better. Yeah, no, yeah Peyton Pritchard, yeah. So yeah, Pr- yeah. I mean, Pritchard being able to to be on the floor pretty well, I thought that, you know, the, the Warriors didn't go after him that much, but I thought he held up and had some big play finishes. You know, they, they yeah. kind of figured out the balance on Pritchard is that he's better at converting than he is at generating those openings. And they have other guys to generate those openings, so more power to him. I also, I, like, um, he did a really nice job of, of navigating, like, uh, you know, guarding whether it was pool or clay or even Steph, I think once or twice in sort of the DHL action, like white yes. is, is, is white is great at that, but like, you know, Pritchard is, you know, he, he is, you know, you, you, you want to put him in that Grayson Allen box of, well, man, that's just not going to work. And he has gotten himself to the point where he is, is can make himself small around that screen and can, right. can it kind of side or rear view contest right. without and fouling. It's, and it's, it's about thresholds here. It's not about, yeah. you know, being tethered to the guy being two feet away as you get through everything else. Not everybody can be Marcus smart or like some of these expert screen navigators, but if you're close enough that it's not really generating much of an advantage and especially honestly if it's clay because if clay has a half step and he can't make that as a three then he might end up taking a bad shot anyway and and you know clay was i think two of five on mid-rangers in this game and so yeah i thought pritchard pritchard holding his own was potentially significant and you know like grit williams on stephen curry was a surprise i i I, we talked about it earlier that was a surprising problem but there's still a place for him clearly in this series and Derek white i wasn't worried about this at all like there wasn't a Derek White play in the series. That's part of why you give up what they did to get Derek White is that he's an extra player out of whole cloth that you have. And so for Boston, I think those early returns, not only with those guys, but Robert Williams and the rest certainly seem to help him, but this is not an every other day finals. So that will help him as well. I thought he totally held his own. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, I, I'm honestly, I'm of, of even slightly compromised. Uh, like I'm, I'm fine if he ends up switched on Curry. Like it, it's, not, and, it's not ideal, but I think I like I like that I like that look better than kind of you know sort of the up to touch kind of semi trap that gives like Draymond or Iggy like the short roll um, for for sure, especially because it ties up one of your best rim protectors. The Porford's probably available in those circumstances, but also the play and the Celtics did such a better job in the second half pre switching, getting Williams out of those actions when they could, not every time, but as much as they could, and having him out there is a big part of why the Warriors had trouble finishing around the basket because he can be almost anywhere. And Robert Williams, part of what... I love, I used to talk about this with Mitchell Robinson and to an extent Robert Williams. There are a few guys, and I, incidentally, Andre Drummond is an offensive rebounder, where one of the joys of watching games on League Pass is that you often get opposing announcers broadcasting a player that they don't see very often. And it's always the like, how did he get there type of thing for Robert Williams? Because he's he's less agile right now than he normally is, but he's also just incredibly long. And so the Warriors sort of like the Memphis series, like the Memphis did a great job making sure that whenever you got around the basket, there was going to be somebody and that somebody was probably not a small guy who wasn't going to affect your shot. And I thought it made a huge difference. I mean, there was the, the like, it, it's funny that even like visibly compromised, he's still just the, the, the best example of this was there was like a, like a ball got knocked around and somehow it seemed like he dove 
from like the elbow and <laughs> like laid out and like tipped the ball like almost when the ball was almost at half court to I believe Tatum who then like kind of came down and got like like uh, fouled by Draymond going, going for like a step through on a Euro step and it was just like I what how he, he you're not supposed to be able to cover that much ground in like one step uh, but you, you, and especially when like you have you have a you have a bad wheel so yeah no he's um even like the fact that he's this athletic even like laboring is <laughs> is is pretty impressive um I know we 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 probably got a wrap soon, but um, we talk about Jordan Poole. I, I mean, so defensively, we saw. I mean, Jordan Poole getting the Gabe Vincent treatment, where Jalen Brown was just going after him. And yeah, I mean, that's not fair. That's not fair because Gabe Vincent is a massively better. Oh player. yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> any any time, basically, any time Jordan Poole is in an action, the other team is going to generate some sort of advantage. Whether that is it, is it, yeah, that's not fair to Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent is miles miles better of a defender than Poole, and Jordan Poole has had some really strong moments during these playoffs, but when teams have had the personnel and the discipline to defend him well, he, you know, he, he doesn't unlock every door. He unlocks certain doors extremely well. So that I, he'll play better, I think in other games of the series, but will he have dominance? I don't know that he'll have dominant stretches. So this is, this is something that I, that, you know, I, I got a lot of heat for saying this on, on Nerder as the playoffs were starting is like, um, you know, in the in the play in last year, he kind of ran away from the ball for a lot of that game. And yeah, he hit a big shot at the end and he got the three shot foul that wasn't a foul that Taylor Jenkins should have challenged. But for vast stretches of the second half of that playoff game, he, he didn't want anything to do with the ball. And I think we saw that again last night. Uh, there's a play with about three minutes. The one, the play where where Steph tweaked his ankle a little bit. Like the ball swings to him in the slot, and he's got a two on one, and he just like freezes. He record scratches, and then tries to like make the extra pass to to Clay in the corner, but it gets tipped out of bounds. It's just like if you're not going to shoot that or at least make a playoff that you can't be on the floor. Um, like you just you're, you're that, that's what you're asked to do. Yeah. Like it is yeah. it is essential, and how they balance that is going to be important. I know you have to and leave so, soon. But- Oh, but this, I, I wanted to. But so this is this is sort of uh, you know a, a, almost a Mavericks problem in that this is something that that I think um, like the the huge first quarter Steph can be a problem because the rest of the Warriors do have a tendency to Steph will figure it out. You know, Clay will shoot. That's fine. Um, but especially like it's like okay, well I'm going to get off the ball and then Steph and Draymond and maybe Iggy will work something out and and we'll get offense that way. And um, you know, if he's expended the energy to go big in the first half, can he do that down? There's going to be games where he goes for 50 and just like does that for four quarters. But I, this is something that 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 sort of has happened with the Mavs at Luca at, at times where he. He goes big in the first quarter and no one else really does anything. And then it's like, well, okay, Luca kind of has to not for a little bit. So who else is doing anything? And and I think that I think that down the stretch the Warriors did suffer a little bit from that. Just sort of a, a reluctance to make a play by other people on the floor. Yeah, it's a great point. I know you have to run quickly. Do you want to give a very brief, yeah, be as, as long as you want, sales pitch for Sports Business Classroom? That's it. Well, you know, I, I before we started, say if you, if you can think of a good segue, um, but we'll we'll just toss that out the window and go no segue at all. Um, I'm this is the third year I've done it teaching at the Sports Business Classroom in Vegas during summer league. Uh, it's put on by by Larry Kuhn, uh, guru of the salary cap. Um, it uh, we do a, a, a basically it's it's designed to 
both teach the skills and help people like build the network necessary to break into the basketball industry, whether that's, you know, on the, you know, trying to work with the team side, the media side, or, uh, you know, it, it, we've had people come through and, and, and go work for agencies as well. Uh, um, you know, with the, uh, uh, the, the salary cap guru for clutch, for example, came through SBC mm-hmm. uh, a number of, a uh, number of years ago. So, um, it, I think it's a, uh, we, we we make every effort possible to not just teach the skills, but really, you know, it's a very you, you hear it all the time. It's a relationship business. Um, just get real, meaningful interaction with people in these positions. So when when the time comes, you're not cold calling someone. You're talking to someone who you know a little bit. And uh, let's say I, I've really enjoyed teaching there. I think uh, a number of students from there have, have continued to be people I'm in, I'm in contact with, in, including including dunked on interns who have done who are now doing great things. Who are doing great things for us, but are now doing them. You know, Liam and Ben yeah. doing great things elsewhere too. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Dave Dufour. You know, uh, yeah, of course, world 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 traveler and, and podcaster extraordinaire. So I would uh, just encourage if that sounds interesting at all. Um, you know, get in touch with me on Twitter. Uh, go to the Sports Business Classroom website, and uh, you know. Uh, happy to tell you more. I will let you go record a record another podcast. Tell all of them hello, and thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks a lot, Danny. Take care. Thanks again to Seth Partno for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic. You can listen to the Nerder She Wrote podcast. You can also, and you should, buy his book, The Midrange Theory, which is available now. It is fantastic. I learned a lot from it, and I talk to Seth all the time, so it's amazing, and it's very readable as well. It's I, I, I was, I've been blown away by what is, we'll probably have a longer conversation about it at some point on the pod. Of course, if you don't already, you can follow Seth on Twitter at S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Love having him on, and I've already had two conversations, podcasts, on Game 1, and probably won't have another one until Game 2, but there will be even more wrinkles to uncover and... Game one surprised at a couple of different turns in terms of the the matchups that teams were willing to do, like Stephen Curry guarding Jason Tatum, you know, in, in the early part of game one and the pool box and one combo, which was very surprising. And Grant Williams having some trouble with Steph and how these coaches adjust. These are incredibly talented teams that will have other things that they can do well. And I'm extremely excited to see where it goes. My expectation is still that this will be a long series, though I am significantly less confident that that eh, significantly is overstating it. I'm less confident that the Warriors will win it than I was when I picked them to start the series, partially because, you know, Boston already won one game. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode in the podcast player of your choosing. Subscribing is great because this podcast, Real GM Radio, will never come out on a specific day of the week. It's my availability, guest availability, events of the league. So you can't get in the habit of, oh, it's Thursday. I should go. It's not always going to be anything like that. And you can also help other people find the show. That is leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player, word of mouth, in person, social media, whatever you're going to do. And also, extremely importantly, it is checking out our sponsors for us that is bet online use that clns50 promo code which most importantly for you gets you a 50 percent welcome bonus on your initial deposit and it also tells them that you came from us and so hopefully they will continue to advertise on this fair podcast and that will be useful for me and for the show continuing and everything else you can also check out my other work dunked on and dunked on prime with 
Nate Duncan, those are going really well. And we're, of course, doing in-depth breakdowns of every game, but also we're deep in our off-season previews and we will be starting our draft work soon. I've gotten going on that. I'm through the top, I don't know if they'll be my top four guys, and I'm working now a little bit lower on the catalog. And we'll be talking about that probably on Real GM Radio at some point, but also, of course, on Dunked On. And we are doing Spotify Live. That is typically Tuesdays at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific. A lot of fun. It's kind of like a call-in radio show that is then released as a podcast roughly 24 hours later on Spotify. And then we do Playback, which Playback is really cool single-screen experience where basically you input your streaming or cable provider, and considering a lot of them have ABC, who's doing the finals, it should be pretty doable. And then you single screen, so that means our call and the game are the same. And if you want some audio from from that feed, if you want some audio from us, you want you can set those levels yourself. There's also a very nice discussion section. We take questions during the stoppages, so it's a impressive technological achievement that we're thrilled to be a part of. Also, my written work is at the Athletic. Did an extender trade piece about a week ago, and then I have a bunch of things in the offing kind of related to setting up the off season and everything else. So those aren't out yet. I'm I'm in the stage where I'm writing like three things and none of them are ready to publish, but they will be. And so you can keep an eye on that. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is promised. I try to reply. I am not the greatest at that. That's why that's not what I promised to do. But thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.